0: give is a lesson in grace. Give us a lesson in love for others. Give us today a lesson in trust. Give us today, our daily bread, a lesson in contentment.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington, Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What would it look like for you to completely and utterly trust God for all things? How might your life look different from what it does now? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part eight of his current series titled Lord, Teach Us to Pray, Looking at the Ways Christ Teaches His Followers to Pray, Tom is examining each phrase of the Lord's Prayer. And in today's message, the phrase, Give us this day our daily bread. Today you'll learn how give is a lesson in grace. Give us a lesson in love for others. And give us today a lesson in trust. Give us today our daily bread. A lesson in dependence with contentment. But how do you know the greatest lesson of all? Let's find out as we join Tom Pennington now on the Word Unleashed.
0: Look at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6 and verse 10, Paul writes So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who were of the household of faith. You see this throughout the New Testament. You see believers taking care of other believers. So when we pray, give us, we're not only praying for ourselves and our own families, we're also praying for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. In addition, we're praying for all of those in need, even those who aren't believers. Look again at verse 10. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Sometimes not only do we have to pray for their needs to be met, we have to put feet to our prayers and do good to them. You remember the Old Testament and its laws required for you, if you were reaping your field, you were supposed to leave the corners of that field unharvested. And if wheat dropped as you were harvesting the field, you weren't supposed to make a second pass to sort of clean up your profits. Instead, you were supposed to leave the wheat that had fallen. Why? For the poor. God is concerned about them, and we should be as well. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Paul is dealing with a person who was a thief before they came to Christ, and he says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, get a job, instead of taking from others, performing with his own hands what is good so that, and what we expect to read is so that he will be able to support himself. But that's not what Paul says. He says so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Listen, do you realize that the reason you have a job, the reason God is blessing your employment, is not solely so that you can support your family? It's not solely so that you will have, it's so that you can help others as well. Basil, one of the early church fathers, wrote this. He said, "'The bread that is spoiling in your house belongs to the hungry.'" The shoes that are mildewing under your bed belong to those who have none. The clothes that are stored away in your trunk belong to those who are naked. Your stuff doesn't belong to you. Don't become a hoarder. Sadly, we are often so absorbed with our own needs that we, in essence, pray, give me my daily bread. And we ignore the physical and financial needs of our family and our brothers and sisters in Christ and even the unregenerate poor around us. Jesus says we're to pray, give us. It's a lesson in love for others. In this fourth petition, Jesus wanted us to learn a lesson in grace, give. A lesson in love, give us. There's a third lesson in this brief request. It's a lesson in trust. Look again at verse 11. Give us this day. This day translates a very common Greek word for today. Give us today. Luke uses a a slightly different expression. Of course, in... A few months from when he preached this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preached and taught his disciples there in Luke 11, the Lord's Prayer, on a separate occasion. There he said, give us according to the day, or day by day, or as the NAS translates it, give us each day. Be continually giving us according to what's appropriate for the needs of each day. Although there are slight nuances of difference between Matthew and Luke, The point is the same, and it's clear. We are to pray in humble dependence and trust, asking God to give us what's appropriate for the needs of that day. By the way, this complements what Jesus is about to say a few verses later. Look down in Matthew chapter 6. And verse 25, he's dealing with materialism. He's, he's dealing with wealth becoming an idol. And he says in verse 25, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look down at verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, we'll we'll explore when we get here. This does not mean that we shouldn't be wise. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't save. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't plan. God demands all of those things of us as stewards. What Jesus is saying is that we're not to worry or be anxious about tomorrow or the future. Instead, we are simply to pray for and to trust God to meet Each day's needs. Now, this is hard for us because of the wealth that we enjoy. I mean, after all, why should you and I pray for today's bread when we shop at Costco and our cupboards are filled with enough food to feed our family for five months? Why should we pray that God will take care of our financial needs today when? We have weeks or months or, in some cases, even years of income locked away in investments. Let me tell you, there are a couple of reasons that you and I had better think this way, that we had better pray this way with a spirit of dependence. Let me give you two reasons why you and I had better do this in spite of what we may have. Reason number one, because only God can enable us to truly benefit from what we have. Turn to Haggai. It's a prophet right near the end of the Old Testament. Haggai prophesied after the children of Israel had returned from Babylonian captivity. God had commanded them to rebuild the temple. That's what they were there to do. But they got distracted from that. And in Haggai chapter 1, verse 4, God identifies this. He says, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house of God lies desolate? Now therefore says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now watch what God does to their prosperity. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into, I love this, a purse with holes. You know what God says? Listen, you do what I want, you depend on me, you fulfill my word, or that on which you depend, I can put holes in it, and it'll just drain away. Verse seven, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Listen, you better have a spirit of dependence on God regardless of how much you have accumulated and how many years of income you have in your retirement plan because God can put holes in it and it'll drain away. That's why every day we must have a spirit of dependence on God. There's a second reason we better have this spirit of dependence in spite of the prosperity we enjoy and that is because God can take it all away in a moment. The most obvious biblical example of this is, of course, Job. One day, he's one of the ancient world's wealthiest men, and the next day, he has absolutely nothing but a worthless wife. Maybe you've seen this same story of God taking everything away, unfold in the life of someone you know, or maybe in your own life. One of my good friends in California is Bob. Bob owns a very successful business that makes plumbing parts, parts that you buy at Home Depot. In fact, you probably have several of his parts in your house or in your yard. Bob is one of the most thoroughly Christian men I've ever known, and he is absolutely meticulous about the kind of product his company produces. I've gone through his plan and watched the operation, I've seen the plans he's designed. But several years ago, in spite of the very careful quality controls that Bob had put in place, one day's fittings came off of the assembly line made with a flawed mixture of ingredients. Just one day in his company's many-year history, those weakened parts were distributed across the country, and they were installed inside new houses and apartments and businesses A few months later, he began receiving a literal flood of claims for water damages that had resulted when the parts failed. His liability insurance company exploited a a small loophole in the contract, and Bob had to pay millions and millions of dollars from his company and from his own personal resources, had to sell his home. There were many months when he thought he was going to have to close the company and spend years working to pay back those who had been hurt. Understand that like Job and like Bob, no matter how successful you may have become, everything could be gone in a moment. John Calvin writes, these words remind us, that unless God feeds us daily, the largest accumulation of the necessaries of life will be of no avail. Though we may have abundance of corn and wine and everything else, unless they are watered by the secret blessing of God, they will suddenly vanish or we will be deprived of the use of them or they will lose their natural power to support us so that we shall famish in the midst of plenty. Jesus said, pray that God will give you today what you need. Listen, do you cultivate a spirit that depends on God, a dependent spirit that says, God is the one who I trust, who supplies all things? Or do you daily rely on something other than God? Do you trust your savings? Do you trust your investments? Is your trust in your retirement plan? Is your trust in your insurance? Is it in the stuff you've accumulated around your house or in your cupboard? Or here's one. Is your trust of physical health in what a good job you do of caring for your body? Well, I eat right and I I exercise and I do all the things I ought to do. God says, put your daily trust for what you need for this life in me and in me alone. This is true when it comes to our food. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 145. In Psalm 145 verse 15, the psalmist says this, the eyes of all look to you and you give them, God, their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Listen, the reason you have enough food to eat, it's not because of you, it's because of God. What about health? I mentioned that. You know, this is such a pitfall for so many Christians. They put their confidence in well, you know, I don't eat this and I don't eat that. And the Bible says not to eat, You know, told the children of Israel not to eat swine, so I'm not gonna have any pork. And, you know, it gets out of hand. I'm gonna exercise and, you know, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that. And, you know, if I eat this and I drink this concoction, it's gonna, it's gonna satisfy my health. I'm gonna be healthy. Listen, that is an affront to the providence of God. Yes, you ought to be a steward of your body, but do you understand that God is the one who keeps you well? Let me show you this. There's a great passage in 2nd Chronicles 16. 2nd Chronicles 16. Again, I'm not saying you shouldn't be a steward. Please understand that we all have a responsibility, but you better not put your trust in what you're doing to ensure your physical health. And here's a perfect example of it. 2nd Chronicles chapter 16 verse 11. Now the gift or excuse me the acts of Asa from the first to the last behold they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel in the 39th year of his reign Asa became diseased in his feet his disease was severe yet even in his disease he did not seek the Lord but where did he put his trust in the physicians listen God in His common grace has given us medicine and doctors, and you ought to use those things, but, and you ought to be a good steward of your body, but you better not ever put your trust for good health in those things. God alone is the one who protects us and preserves our health. When we ask God to give us today what we need, it is an acknowledgment of our utter dependence and trust in Him. There's one final lesson contained in these words. It's a lesson in contentment. Again, notice verse 11, give us today our daily bread. The Greek word translated daily there is an extremely difficult word to really understand what it means because it's only used twice in the New Testament, here and in Luke 11, and both times it's used in this petition in the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't occur in the Septuagint at all. In fact, Origen said Matthew and Luke made this word up. There are essentially three possible ways to understand the word And it all depends on its etymology. There are three options that you will see in study Bibles and commentaries. Option number one is it's saying, give us today the bread necessary for survival. A second option is give us today the bread for the coming day. Of course, if you pray this in the morning, you're praying for today. If you pray this at night, you're praying for tomorrow, the next day. Some translations will even use the word tomorrow. The third option is our daily bread, as it is here. When William Tyndale translated this Greek word into English in the first ever English translation made from the original Greek and Hebrew back in 1525, he used the English word daily, and it stuck. Archaeology has confirmed Tyndale's translation. In 1925, an Egyptian papyrus was discovered in which this word was used. And it's used in the context of an accounting of daily rations of food handed out. So Jesus then is saying, Pray, Father, give us today our daily bread. But what does he mean by bread? Many of the early church fathers couldn't believe that Jesus would transition from such lofty things as God's glory and God's kingdom and God's will to such a mundane issue as literal bread. And so Origen said, it must be the bread of the Word of God. Jerome said, no, it must be the bread of the Lord's table. The Greek word for bread here is used primarily in the New Testament in two ways. It's used of literal bread. In the first century, bread was usually made from the cheaper flour, which was barley, sometimes from the more expensive wheat flour. And they would add to that barley flour, olive oil, and a little yeast. And the result would be something like, uh, think of, uh, of a pizza without the toppings. It would have been about a half inch thick and up to 20 inches wide. Then it could be cut into pieces and given to the family. It was the main staple of their diet, just like for many bread and pasta and tortillas are today. It's also used of food in general, this word bread. Not only just a literal bread, but a food in general. For example, in Mark 3.20, it says Jesus wasn't even even able to eat bread. means a meal, food. But here, our Lord uses this word bread in even a larger sense. It's a figure of speech to include not just our food, but all things that are necessary to our existence, to our physical life. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, bread is a symbol for everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food, a healthy body, good weather, house and home, wife, children, good government, peace, peace. So asking God to give you your daily bread not only includes the food you need, it includes clothing and shelter, physical health, physical strength, a strong mind, gainful employment, everything necessary to sustain our physical lives. And notice where Jesus puts the stress. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus is telling us we not only have to cultivate a spirit of dependence and trust, but we also have to cultivate a spirit of contentment. Lord, all we ask is that you give us what you think we need today. It's the spirit of the proverb in Proverbs 30, verse 8: Give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with the food that is my portion. That's interesting. Feed me with the food that is my portion that I may not be full and deny you and say who is the Lord or that I may not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. You know what the, what the writer of Proverbs is saying? God, I want you to providentially give me the level of prosperity that I can handle and still stay spiritually strong. And that varies. I know a few very wealthy Christians who prosper spiritually in spite of their wealth. They still have a humble, trusting, dependent spirit. They're not grasping for more. They're generous. This prayer is saying, God, give me the level of prosperity that won't hurt me spiritually. By the way, this runs utterly contrary to the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, which says God wants everybody to be healthy and wealthy. This runs contrary to your best life now. This runs contrary to the the large charismatic church down the street that will tell you that the blessed life comes from giving enough to God. By the way, there's a wonderful object lesson in the need for this kind of contentment. I wish I had time to take you back to Exodus 16 and the story of the manna. You remember, God sent the manna, but he only sent enough for how much? Each day. He said, only pick up what you can eat that day. And what happened if you picked up more than you needed that day? It rotted it was a lesson. God was saying, "Listen, I can provide for you today and again tomorrow and again the next day. Trust me." Paul deals with this issue of contentment as well. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 8. "If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content." If you have the necessities of life, Paul says, "Be content." And whatever you do, don't be like those who want to get rich. You know, I am appalled by the number of Christians who get involved in get-rich-quick schemes. If you do that, Paul says, you will fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away even from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But what if God has given you more than you need? And that's true of all of us here. As I said, we're all in the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world. How are we supposed to respond to that? Look at verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world, that's us, not to be conceited. Don't you for a moment believe that the reason you have what you have is because you're so smart. Or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, and in so doing, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. In other words, invest in eternity so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. God's promised to meet our needs, but he's told us to ask him to do it. And he answers in response to that. Not always our wants, but what we need. Give is a lesson in grace. Give us a lesson in love for others. Give us today a lesson in trust. Give us today our daily bread, a lesson in contentment. But you know, I don't think any of those is the greatest lesson in this text. I think the greatest lesson in this text is about God. Listen to Lloyd-Jones. If only we could grasp this fact, that the almighty Lord of the universe is interested in every part and portion of us, there is not a hair of my head that he is not concerned about, and the smallest and most trivial of details in my little life are known to him on his everlasting throne. Think about that for a moment. Is not this one of the most wonderful things in the whole of Scripture, that the God who is the creator and the sustainer of the universe, that such a God should be prepared to consider your little needs and mine down to the minutest details even when it comes to our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Let's pray together.
1: Tom Pennington, here on The Word Unleashed, with Part 8 of Lord Teach Us to Pray. Join us next time for Part 9. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word, here on The Word Unleashed. Plan to join Tom Pennington this summer, June 24th and 25th, at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas, as he introduces the Word Unleashed's first annual Faithful Stewards Conference Series. Faithful Stewards is designed for pastors, elders, teachers, and church leaders. But even if you aren't in one of those categories, you're welcome to attend. This year's theme is Loving Christ by Feeding His Sheep, a reflection on our Lord's challenge to the Apostle Peter, as found in John chapter 21. There's no cost to attend, but registration is required. June 24th and 25th. Go to the wordunleashed.org to register. You know, the Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting the wordunleashed.org. That's the wordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team. I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.